In a world where horrid stenches and piercing screams come not from the realms of fantasy, but from the nightmare of reality. Come two heroes bonded by love and the kind of desperation only parents can know. No, God, please, no, no, no! Behold, RPGs and Baby Makes Three, the greatest podcast in the history of all podcasts by parents who have made a podcast about being gamers with a baby. Did I mention it's a podcast? Here are your hosts, Gretchen Hilmers and Rob Hessler. Episode 10, Rob Hessler here with... Hmm, let me see. The exhausted Gretchen Hilmers. The perseverant Gretchen Hilmers. Ooh. The constitutional Gretchen Hilmers. Wait, constitutional? The one who stays awake, yet all of life's factors say that she should be asleep right now, Gretchen Hilmers, is my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a champion. I got this. You are a champion, and so are all You're of you. You're a champion, though. Well, I am kind of a champion. Yeah, you are. You 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 were my champion. You Aww. saved me after last night. Well, all of you out there listening who have kids and who are like us and have a young kid, or if you just may remember back to when your kid was young. Or you have a cat that yowls all night long, or a dog. Two words, sleep regression. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what that means, I love you. We're here for you. Here is a podcast hug for you. <laughs> This is episode 10. We're happy to have you listening in, and we have an awesome episode lined up for you today. We're going to have Amanda Plagman back on the show today to talk about some of the topics that we've got lined up, including a lengthy email that she sent us about a previous episode. And speaking of emails, we're going to start the show here by taking a snippet out of an email that we received from our good friend and listener, Drew. He actually sent a really incredibly interesting email drew awesome this there's a lot in here but it's quite long and it is very philosophical so what we're going to do is we're going to pull one snippet out of it and we're going to revisit some of these topics at a later episode but we wanted to mention the writer's block paragraph that he wrote in this email so i'm going to read this and then we can kind of discuss a bit i'm an amateur writer myself and have been working off and on on a series of fantasy novels I definitely experience writer's block from time to time, and I've never considered using the resources you mentioned, lists, randomizers, etc., to help get unstuck, but I definitely will now. Because my story is squarely planted within an existing mythology and body of folklore, I already borrow some bits here and there and have some of my plot points silently mirror scenes from that folklore as a sort of Easter egg. 
As a result, I can usually just go spelunking through Wikipedia articles and the original folklore stories whenever I need a little push, and I wonder whether this would also be a viable strategy for some DMGMs when looking for new avenues for their stories. First of all, thanks, Drew. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, good luck on your fantasy novel series. I have no idea, but if you ever need anybody to read it, I will read it. I love reading fantasy. I like, I like reading. <laughs> I just, it'll take me a long time to get through. It will, but I mean, like, well, I, I'm pretty voracious with the fantasy now. Now, if you, you got to put it like in a PDF or something like that so I can read it on an e-reader or something if you really want me to read it quickly. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves and we're getting off topic. I love this idea. Yeah. The folklore idea and stealing from that. So Borrowing. Borrow. No, stealing. Paying homage. Paying homage. So, so funny. I'll give a little anecdote here. And I was playing in this AD&D 2nd Edition game this past week. And we had this opportunity to use this, I guess it was a magical item, you might say, where you could tell a story. It was a kabuki, a magical kabuki theater. So you could speak your story into the kabuki theater and it would translate it into that sort of kabuki style. And we all had the opportunity to tell a story into the kabuki machine, right? And so you were put on the spot as a player, like to tell us a cool story. So I told the story of Conan. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian, the, the first movie. God, you love those movies. I do love, well, I love the first movie. Okay. I love the first Whoops. movie. I don't even really love it. Did we rewatch the the remake recently? No. I, if if we did anything in the last year and a half, I do not remember. I might want to rewatch the remake if we haven't already recently rewatched. Oh wait, the, re the remake? Yeah. With Jason Momoa. Was he the one? Yes. Yeah, we did recently rewatch that. Yeah, but I don't know that we finished it. Did we not finish it? Oh I don't my think God. we finished it. Parents out there, you're with us. You understand. <laughs> you grasp this. But the point is, is that we had an opportunity as players to share a story. So, like, I'm in the middle of the game and I had to share a story. And so, basically, like, I made up a new story. I made up Conan. I just told, changed the names. And it was a spider cult instead of a snake cult. But it was all the same. I mean, it was like, I, I basically just, as Gretchen likes to say, borrowed the story and told the story there. So, I mean, don't we kind of all do that? I have actually the Grimm's fairy tales on my Kindle right now that I want to read. And I want to read it. Ooh, the originals? Yeah. Nice. Not only because I just want to read them because I feel like. I'd like to read the originals. Yeah. There's... I feel like as a rite of passage, I should just read those. Yeah. For like what I'm into. But I'm also going to take those elements and use them in my games. Like, I already know that. You know, probably Supernatural is sort of what I was thinking. Or, like, Supernatural-based games rather than, like, a D&D game. But, yeah, I mean, I love that. Like, as Drew is saying here, just really going and taking a resource that is easily accessible. Like, Wikipedia. I mean, it's, like, as accessible as there is. And just pulling from it. And like changing some of the names, maybe changing around some of the details, or even in the case of like these old folk tales, which are not copyrighted, like you can just use them. Yeah. You don't even really have to, to cite a source or you know hide the fact that you're using them. I mean, he Drew was talking about using them as Easter eggs, essentially, in his stories. So like, he even knows he's doing that, and I love that idea. Like, mm -hmm. just taking from that. And I mean, again, it was like what we were talking about during that episode and talking about writer's block, creative blocks, 
just taking from whatever's around you and being willing to do that. You don't have to come up with all your own ideas all the time. Like, I think that's the big takeaway here. You can just get your ideas from other sources. Yeah. So, good stuff, Drew. You just got to use everything. You got to, it's a kitchen sink approach, right? Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be the same genre, I don't think. Like, you can read, like, for example, right now I'm reading Dune because I'm, was told that they were good, but then the movie's coming out, and I kind of want to read... I know I've seen the David Lynch version of Dune, but it was like ages ago, so I don't really remember. But I want to read the book before the movie comes out, because I know I want to see the movie, but I don't want to see the movie and then read the book. I want to read the book first, you know, right. which is probably going to ruin it for me, whatever. But <laughs> I would gladly use any of that stuff in a fantasy game, in a modern game, like any of the stuff that I could take from that... I'll take from that for my stories that I'm telling as in role-playing games. Like, totally. Why not? I mean, even if it's not the same genre. Yeah. I don't know. Anything and everything. Anything and everything. Yeah. So thanks, Drew. We really appreciate it. And if you want to send in an email to us, you can do so at rpgsandbabymakes3 at gmail.com. We would love and to hear from that you. that is also uh, spelled out three or the number three. Right. Yes. We'll, we'll take emails from either of those. Um, Scott, send us some emails. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we really do appreciate it, and we really take them seriously. And we have gotten some just incredible emails from people that are really thoughtful, and uh, we're going to continue to read them on the show. So anyway, let's go ahead and roll for initiative. They see me rolling. Some people are born lucky. Let's roll. Roll for initiative. All right, G, let us talk about our week in gaming. Well, last couple of weeks in gaming were a little late on. Yeah, we failed our con check. We failed our con check. We had Mother's Day, and I just want to give a little shout out to all the moms out there. Whether, well, you, as you posted up in the RPGs and Baby Makes 3 Facebook page, whether you're a mother of a child, a fur baby, your fish, whatever it uh, is. Whether you're a den mother of a misfit group of gamers. <laughs> I, loved that. <laughs> I loved that statement, actually. That was really funny. Yeah, happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. And, you know, I know that can be hard for some people out there. So, you know, we're sending you out some good vibes now um, for those of you who struggle through Mother's Day. So, you know, know that we, we understand that and, and, you know, we're thinking of you too. So, uh, yeah, we got wrapped up. So this episode is coming out a little bit late. But we have been doing some some gaming, although I'm taking a couple of weeks off from running the Dragonlance game right now. And our next Dragonlance game is going to be live and in person. Are we doing that? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Our next game is going to be the first in-person game because now by that time, everybody in our group will be vaccinated and two weeks past their second shot. So according to the CDC, we can gather together in that small group safely without wearing masks and play the game. Now we could have done it with masks before or played outside, but it would just be like you know, for three hours without wearing a mask. And then we also like to do food and all that stuff. So I wanted to wait until it was really safe and really comfortable. And we're going to be doing a live game in person for the first time in ages. That's <sighs> weird. That is going to be weird. I don't want to do the dishes. Neither do I. Lincoln, <laughs> you're up on the dishes. 
Speaking of weird, we also got a Troika game coming up this Friday. Yeah, Florida Man. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Florida Man sphere. It's called Cocaine and Alligators is the supplement that the zine that is oh we're playing from for Troika. Troika is an insane game, and we did a review of it a couple of episodes back. You can check that out there uh in the sh- in the show archives there if you want to hear about troika but we're going to be playing that but other than that we haven't really played a ton of games we played amanda's ravenloft game and we had taken a really long break because people couldn't make it or one reason or another including us at one point and we've had back-to-back totally role-playing sessions no combat whatsoever that basically involves a, this nice old lady who's turned out to be a hag I mean, I didn't trust her from the moment we saw her. <laughs> you, your your character drank the weird concoction she offered up. Only my character was like smart enough to not do that. It, but I kind of liked that. It definitely felt a little bit, I don't know, a little bit nerve wracking, a little bit uncomfortable. And then at the very end, we found out that she was a hag. We found this hag's eye, and then she rode away on this like. We ended up. You ended up. Actually, your character ended up speaking to the animals, and we learned that she flew away on this, like, horrific beast monster, and we're like... Yeah, but, I mean, it's a horrific beast monster, but it just kind of does its own thing, apparently, and it's not going to mess with you unless yeah, it's hungry, sure. right? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, that is my favorite spell. Speak, Speak with, with animals. animals. God, I love that. Isn't that an awesome... In any game... Speaking with animals is so cool. Can Tick Tick get speak with animals? Tick Tick can get speak with animals. Oh, well, a version what? of it. I a think so. That's a good question. Oh man. Hmm. I don't it's know. Your game. That might be it. Well, <laughs> I don't want to. I wouldn't want to steal Brian's thunder. Brian doesn't speak with animals. We should tell him to speak with animals. He should do more animal stuff. In fact, he should get animal companions to run around with you guys. Yeah, would be kind of cool. Brian plays Malachite, a ranger druid who is you know woodsman but he actually really loves the captain malachite thing like he became a ship captain at one point during the game and he loves that so may or may not be going back on the ship pretty soon so we'll see yeah i think we are Mm. it's gonna happen Mm. don't even pretend like we're one session away from completing castle amber and that's going to be the live session so that's really cool i think you're on the last session i mean that's that's been like a four month thing yeah so this will be session i believe 22 of playing castle amber so quite a long way and we're on session 30 uh 56 or 57 so we're in that range there but but yeah we've got a lot of really great games coming up there the rpg connection discord group that we're a part of is doing the June the Earth Stood Still, a sci-fi month, and there's a bunch of sci-fi games that you and I are going to get involved in. Some that we have never played before, and then one that we have before, Lasers and Feelings. Oh my god, I'm so excited about that. Yeah, and it's That's one... how Greg ran Lasers and Feelings. It was so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. Oh, so oh my weird. Lord. It was weird. There was a... What is love? What is love? We had to teach an alien organism love. With orgasms. Yeah. Good job, Captain. That's right. I was the. I had like really high <laughs> feelings, so I had to do that. I wasn't the cap. The captain. It go. 
the beginning. Oh, you're like the first man. Yeah, the first mate. Yeah, lasers and you're feelings. Riker. Basically, you play. I was Riker. Riker. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Lasers and feelings. The game starts off with the nobody's the captain. The captain. Something happens to the captain, and they're like in the medical pod and can't interact. So it's the rest of the crew. That's the way the game works every single time. So nobody's in charge. You know what I mean? <laughs> that always goes well. Yeah, and then you have to solve the missions from there. And what's cool about the Lasers and Feelings game we're going to be playing is that somebody, a DM, a game master that we've played with a few games before, Junior Brave's Guide to the Apocalypse, and I believe he ran 10 Candles for us as well. He is going to be running Lasers and Feelings, and he's a great game master. And so you, all of you out there know, I, I mean, half or more than half of the fun of the game is the game master doing a good job of running it. That doesn't mean that they have to be Matt Mercer and have to do like voices and do all of that stuff, but just a tight running of the game, a well done running of the game. And I think that it makes all the difference in the world. So yeah. anyway, that'll be fun. Shall we get to the beef of the show? <laughs> oh God. You know, it's so funny is we didn't mention beef for the cooking episode. No, because we did all like vegetarian food. I know, but don't you think we would at least try to make like a, I don't know, you, you should have made a dad joke. You failed your dad joke, Jack. Are you telling me that you have some sort of beef with me over the last episode? I do have beef with you, Rob. See, there you go. Moo. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's head into the common room and meet up with our good friend, Amanda Plagman. Here we go. Hey there. Welcome to the common room. Sit anywhere you like. All right. We are in the common room here with our good friend, Amanda Plagman. She's really like a, a part of the show. Like I, we're like we we say our guest, but like you're, we've talked to you about this already. Like you're a part of the show, so we're happy to have you back on. She just here. doesn't have to change the diapers or anything. So you know. Well, you know what they say: fish and house guests stink after three days. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which um, I really like that saying. I love that saying too. Also, cat vomit stinks. Right away. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and it permeates the area. That's a true story from this morning. I'm just going to say. <laughs> yeah. I've never known any vomit to not permeate. All of our parents out there listening have certainly walked out with their child in their hands first thing in the morning, getting ready to go and stepping into a pile of cat vomit and then looking around your house and seeing vomit everywhere. Aww. And you have your child who is very interested in everything. Oh, of course. <laughs> so that was I mean, my beginning. That, that was my beginning of the day. Yeah, that's vomit that didn't come from him. I know. <laughs> Magic. Magic. Well, look here. Let's get into the seriousness here. And you sent an email, like it was a really good email about X cards because we recently did a a segment on X cards, lines, veils, and X cards. And Gretchen and I have been getting really interested in safety tools, to be honest with you, because we never use safety tools before. We just play games with our friends and we kind of read the room. Like you could tell, like if you said something and it was like clearly rubbing somebody the wrong way amongst your friends, we would just sort of like be like, okay, well maybe I'll stop doing that. 
or if you were the kind of person that wouldn't stop doing what was obviously bothering somebody who was in your friend group of players, you'd probably talk to them. And then if they still did it, then you just would no longer invite them to the game. And that's kind of the way we always dealt with it before. But now, especially with online gaming being such a big deal, Lines, Veils, X-Cards, safety tools, where you're playing with more and more with people that you don't necessarily know, they've become a bigger thing. And we were sort of advocating why we thought some of these were good tools, but you had a bit of a of a counterpoint, I think, to the X card. So let me kind of throw it to you there, Amanda. We're not going to read your very well thought out and well written email, um, which I really appreciate. But kind of explain the point that you were making about X cards because I think it was really interesting. Well, okay. First, let me say I absolutely fully support the existence of a safety mechanic that will stop the scene in the moment as opposed to having to predetermine it or like a line or a veil that's absolutely necessary it's a good thing it needs to be available the problem is is that the x card as designed is a flawed tool mainly because anytime a safety mechanic is put into place it should ideally facilitate communication and the X card actually shuts down communication, which to my mind is counterproductive and problematic. Because the thing about the X card, you were absolutely right in that it's a no argument allowed thing, but the way most people use it and the way that it was originally intended, it's not just no argument, it's no discussion. It's a way to prevent anybody from having to feel embarrassed or shamed that they have a problem with something that's going on in the scene and then to be further embarrassed or shamed by having to explain themselves. But by not explaining yourself, you don't have the opportunity to figure out exactly what it is that's a problem. So if you've got multiple elements in the scene, you have no way of knowing what it was that was problematic and therefore you can't avoid it in the future. Well, I think that's a really good point. It's interesting because you gave some really good examples in your email. You mentioned you were sort of talking about a hypothetical scenario where you, where you kind of describe walking through this corridor and there's like cobwebs and rats and the sputtering torch and it dark and everything like that. And then somebody throws out the X card and you don't know if it was the rats the terror inspired by the sputtering torch, the cobwebs in their face. You don't know what it is. Exactly. And so you can't make certain that that issue doesn't arise again in Mm -hmm. the future. And I think to just put a punctuation on that example and why I think, well, first of all, I think that's absolutely a great example because all of, there are multiple things like, cobwebs brushing across your face if somebody has like a a fear of spiders like oh my god or Mm -hmm. if somebody has a fear of rats like that's a pretty common fear or a fear of the dark or like being without light like claustrophobia yeah yeah that's right in the in the scene you also described claustrophobia those are all very common phobias so like it could be any of them but what i was thought was interesting we recently played a game where somebody set up put up a veil for eye trauma yeah, that was really interesting. Right? And I will say, and, and just to be totally clear, this player was not the kind of person, you know, and, and because I think that some people who hear about these 
uh, safety mechanisms think, oh, people are just being like overly sensitive and like you man up, quote unquote, right? But this person was not like opposed to like, you know, somebody's head got ripped off in the in the right. same scenario. Like and, and it was it was like a pretty twisted scene. We actually were playing low stakes, which is comedic. Low stakes, which is based on what we do in the shadows, and it was right. comedic, but it was also like violence and blood and just very descriptive in all of its way. And so there was the veil of eye trauma. Now I could imagine, and you've played in my games before, and the way I describe scenes where maybe somebody's getting like killed or or something, mm -hmm. and I get very descriptive. We've had and kill scenes I, with eye trauma. Yeah, like I could do that and not, yeah. and if an X card was played, Poor I would, <laughs> right? I wouldn't <laughs> understand that it was specifically related to a tiny detail when maybe they were okay with everything else and maybe even not only okay with it, but maybe they enjoy a graphic mm -hmm. description as long as it doesn't include that one specific detail. Exactly. So like in that case, it, the veil worked out because mm -hmm. it ended up being where they told us before the game. But like, imagine you don't, I mean, to that you have to be like really in touch with your own personal feelings to recognize that eye mm -hmm. trauma is something you need to say is a veil. Or you need to have had it come up before and had that trigger flipped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and this is so fascinating because I really agree with the idea of the X card, but I'm also, you know, years of therapy and marriage counseling have shown me the importance of communication and being mm -hmm. open and honest. And so, you know, I, I didn't really think about how okay, what was it? I mean, I think in some scenarios it could be totally obvious, but I think in others it, it could be very subtle and you are kind of left wondering, like, what is it? And how do we avoid this going forward? Or, you know, what if you did an entire game on something that would cause someone an X card? Like, mm -hmm. wow, I, I just didn't think of it. Exactly. Like if you've got a, a spider trigger and you unknowingly sit down to a game that's, full of drow and the underdark and the demon web pits you're not gonna have a good time yeah you're gonna have a bad night <laughs> you know what's funny though is like and and what i think is interesting about this is that i always set a line at sexual violence and mm -hmm. sexual assault i mean like those for me like i just don't need that in any game and I, I'm I, and I set a line at it I just don't really think like I don't really want to play in a game that involves that kind of thing even uh, sort of being referred to now I don't mind if you want to say you know the character is vicious and and a terrible per you know what I mean like you can create the idea that that would almost even imply that this person is capable of doing those acts as long as we're not specifically referring to those acts, right? Right. And, but I mean, I don't think that that's like, I, I think most people would probably, I, I, the vast majority of gamers are gonna kind of feel that way too. I mean, nobody really wants to, I mean, I don't, as a dungeon master or game master, I don't really particularly want to describe scenes that go to that level of, I, I don't mind psychological horror, but I don't really want to go into the detail about those kind of things anyway, right? Right. But the way that you're, what you're kind of talking about, and with the X card, is like it flips the switch 
the scene ends. Mm-hmm. Whatever is happening ends. You move to the next scene. Right. There is no way to know what in that scene mm-hmm. can continue to be a building block of progressive scenes coming afterwards. Exactly. And what must not be. It's like removing a chapter out of a book. Right. Like and and you can't refer to any character that was in that chapter. Exactly. And that's tough. That is really mm-hmm. tough. On and it's kind of unrealistic. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. And it's tough even from a purely mechanical perspective in that, well, that scene that you might have just excarded, I might have been planning for that to be maybe 45 minutes of the night session. And suddenly I've got 45 minutes to fill. Well, better hope that I'm good at improvising. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting, and I and I kind of want to move into a sort of a broader discussion about about safety tools in general beyond even just the X card, and that's and because I thought since we had this conversation, I was thinking about something. So there's a game that I'm interested in running called Weirdwood, and the Discord group that Gretchen and I are really actively involved in, the RPG Connection group, is very good about using Lines Veil's X card. And an open door policy too, which is another safety tool which we didn't talk about in our episode. But it's essentially like at any moment you can just get up and leave, and you don't need to explain yourself. You can just leave if you're feeling uncomfortable. You can get up from the table and leave, and nobody's going to question it. You know what I mean? And yeah. which is fine, actually. I don't. I, I I actually think that one is that actually kind of makes it a little easier in a lot of ways. If you're not feeling mm-hmm. comfortable, rather than asking the game to change. You remove yourself from the game. Question though, does the person using the open door policy, do they announce that they're stepping away and that the game should continue? Or yes. do they just, okay. Yeah. They don't I believe them. so. Go. Okay. I, I have only, I've only seen it from the outside, not in a game I've been a part of. But from what gotcha. I understand, you say, I'm going to be stepping away from the game continue on without me and gotcha. it's that simple you don't have to explain yourself but you mm-hmm. there is the courtesy of i'm out right because otherwise on. folks might stop to wait for you to come back <laughs> yeah or <laughs> like ask is everything okay are you doing okay or are you know exactly. what i mean like and like it could turn into something mm-hmm. but but so i there's this game weirdwood and weirdwood is a realm that exists connected to our realm that is been created by all of like the dreams and nightmares and imaginations of everything that that people have had over the entire history of time. So, so there's an option of a lot of messed up stuff happening. Yeah, and but the game is specifically geared it, it's toned darkly. Good. The yeah. creator of the game also made a soundtrack that goes along with it and if you listen to the soundtrack you get what the game is supposed to be and it's mm-hmm. dark the game is nice. dark right mm-hmm. so i want to run this game as part of this sci-fi month that they're doing in this rpg connection group right and there's the lines veils and x card are a big part of that group so i put the game up as an advertised the game i will be running this game and oh, you can join the game but i also made a little caveat here and i said like lines veils and x card but this game is meant to be effed up. Don't join a game where you're exploring the dark nature of nightmares mm-hmm. if 
you're sensitive. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so that's another part so, of it. It's like the, basically people need to take responsibility for their own comfort to a degree. Exactly. Safety yes. tools are useful, but you also, as a player, need to think, am I stepping into a game that my own issues are going to alter it to such a great extent that it's going to really impact what the very nature of the game is, A, or B, the expected enjoyment of the remainder of the players. Because people that are going to play Weirdwood that I'm going to run, they want a dark, they're expecting to join into a dark game. Excellent. I mean, well, they should be. And most of them probably will. If somebody comes in and they're like, well, I don't, I have a veil over psychological terror, then like, well, you can't, you know, or, or something like, I mean, I don't know, like serial killers or creepy trees, or I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like, it's at a certain point. It's like, we cannot, we literally cannot play the game with your lines and veils. We need to play a different game. And so like, that's another thing that kind of, another challenge in walking that line with lines, Mm -hmm. veils, X cards with safety tools in general. And like, the notion of having a dialogue around those things is because I want to be understanding of people's issues. But at the same time, I also want to, I want to play the game that I'm planning on playing, whether I'm running or playing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with having those issues, but in having them, you're also responsible for putting them onto other people. It's one thing to say, no eyeball trauma you can work with that even in a dark game. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to say no trauma. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's interesting too, because we're playing in a Ravenloft game with you, you know, and part of like the reason why I want to play in a Ravenloft game is because I want messed up stuff to happen. Mm -hmm. And like the last (laughs) game we were playing, there was the hag and she got on some monstrous beast and flew off and our last combat encounter was with this like horrific creature. And I feel like in the last oh few God, sessions, that was horrific. Ugh, awful. I feel like in the last few sessions, I'm starting to feel a little bit more of like the terror of that world. And like at the end of last session too, I was like, Oh my gosh, she's going to come back. And like, we're now kind of like, like, and my character squashed the hag's eye eyeball, which is like a taunt, but also like what he would do. But like, I want that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm playing the game because I want to feel uncomfortable. Exactly. Discomfort is not a bad thing. Unfortunately, as much as I love safety tools, I can't help but think that some folks are too quick to reach for them. I mean, if you're genuinely uncomfortable, if it's something is genuinely going too far, by all means, safety tool out in whatever manner seems best to you. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. It's really not. I mean, that's what gets my adrenaline going in a game. Like, that gets my blood. Like, I can feel my heart pounding. I feel anxious. Like, I want to feel that. Like, from a game, like, when you're telling a story and it becomes that internalized, that's Mm -hmm. when, for me, like, a lot of the time, that's when I know it's good. Exactly. When you trigger an emotion, you're doing something right. So, Amanda, you you played in a lot of mixed company settings. Has how many times has this come up for you? Um, to find this in this context, the the X card. 
Never. Never. I have never once been in a game where there's been an X card. I've only once in hindsight been in a game where had there been an X card, I'm sure that it would have been used. Mm. And that was the incident that Rob mentioned on a, uh, the previous podcast with the torture scene. That okay. Oh, you were there. You were part of that. I was huh? running it. Oh, I God. should have stepped in sooner and I did not. And that was on me. Well, it was a weird, you know, I mean, I, I had never dealt with a situation like that personally as a, and just to refresh people who maybe didn't hear that episode, there was a scene where another player was enacting a very detailed torture sequence in the game. And it was a Pathfinder Society game, which is like a, everybody shows up and plays this one off together and it's totally random people that can show up. Although everybody there knew each other, except for me, I was the one person who didn't really know everybody Although I knew you and I might have known one or two others there just, or at least kind of knew them by reputation or name. That was weird So, Like I didn't know how to even react like on a personal mm -hmm. level, like, but, but see the thing that's interesting about that specific scene, if something like that happened in our gaming group, like let's just mm -hmm. imagine our home table. Sure. We wouldn't need an X card. No, we would we say, just you know, this is like, can we move on from this? Yeah. And it would exactly. be fine. Right. And most likely the person who was doing it would like get the message and it would never right. happen again. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in that instance, it was weird because it just went from zero to 60. It started out as an interrogation. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. There's nothing. I mean, he had tied the dude up. Fine. He had threatened to torture the dude. Okay. Not the end of the world. But then he actually got started doing it. Wasn't it a woman? It was a woman. Oh, well, I, well, it the, was a the woman. player was the, the player was a male. He the, might have been the, the the NPC was a woman though. I think too. probably so. Yeah. That added something to it for me as well. Oh. I mean, I think I'm. I don't. Know, I guess maybe I'm more uncomfortable with violence towards women than I am violence towards men. I, I just you know maybe some mm -hmm. old school mentality there. But I mean, it's just still. But yeah, I mean, like that that's the thing too. And actually, you know what? What's the weird thing is, is that like, I don't really want there to be graphic torture, but I could also, like in that game, mm -hmm. but I could also imagine a scenario where I could play in a game mm -hmm. where I wouldn't really have a problem with that. Like I've, when, since that game, mm -hmm. and since I've played in games with Lions and Veils, I don't recall ever putting up a line or a veil towards torture. Mm -hmm. Like, if we're playing an evilly aligned game or something, I might be okay with it. Right. You know, like, it's yeah. weird. It's, it's it, that, That's one of the things that's so mm -hmm. challenging about this kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. and part of it, too, is I think that there was no preparation. You didn't have time to wrap your mind around it. You didn't have time to settle yourself mentally. You didn't have time to come to terms with what was going on. It was just suddenly there. And I was playing like the most happy-go-lucky, friendly mm -hmm. character, Emery Thicketmane, a halfling bard, <laughs> oh, who was no. like, who oh, was like no. the most friendliest, loving type of character. Mm -hmm. Who was, who and this was a nice, this, yeah. yeah. And, and so I was in that other characters using kitchen knives, and oh dear. Yeah, I was in yeah. the. It was in that mind space too, you know, like of the childhood wonder mm -hmm. kind of thing, and you know, like, I think if I was in the mind space of dark game. Mm -hmm. nefarious characters then I can kind of like my mind has set up that 
that structure. Like, you know, when you sit down and you watch a horror movie, you're ready for a horror movie. But if you're exactly. watching, like, a kid's movie, and then all of a sudden one of the characters starts, like, you know, going homicidal, like, stabby-stab, then it's all of a sudden you're like, that's when it's, like, jarring because you're not really ready for it. Like you said, you know, you're not really ready for it. So interesting. I mean, this is such an interesting topic, and I think it's going to be a – I think it's going to continue to be an interesting mm-hmm. topic. I don't know if we were discussing it specifically in relation to our – Lines, Veils, and X-Card topic, but I know that, you know, 6th edition Dungeons and Dragons is probably in development right now, and there's a lot of discussion about what the game is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think safety tools have taken on a much, much greater role over the past year since 5th edition has come in, and even with the player base is more thoughtful about these kind of things than we ever were. You know, that's just not the way we thought. Right. You know, and a, a part of, you know, we also didn't really play online. Like we didn't, True. you know, have this kind of. Mm-hmm. For that matter, back in the day, there just weren't that many groups around. So you tolerated a lot more in the way of awkward behavior out of your fellow players than you otherwise would. Yeah. But I also think that maybe in the in the groups that we've played in, it has been safer. But there are some pretty pretty bad stories out there of situations uh, characters and players have been put into where I think mm-hmm. safety measures maybe should have been thought of ahead of time. True. Um, and I think it will benefit the game as a whole by mm-hmm. having some of that instilled uh, from the beginning, from the actual mm-hmm. game rules themselves. I agree. Um, because I think some people like to jump on the, well, it's not in the manual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just kind of establishing like, hey, man, this isn't cool, uh, will go a long way. And yeah. It's better right. to have the tools and not use them than to need them and not have them. Exactly. Kind of sucks we even have to mention that, but whatever. Yeah, well, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, just like with any fandom or any hobby or anything in life, there are there's a wide range of different types of people who are involved and there are, there's always going to be problematic people. There's problematic people in gaming. There's just as much as there is in the, the corporate world or in movies or everywhere you look, there's, there's, it's always gotta be someone to ruin it. There always does have to be somebody that ruins it, but we won't ruin it. We will continue to be awesome about it. And so if any of you out there have some questions about this and want to throw in your stories or your thoughts about X cards, lines and veils, or really anything else that the wonderful Amanda Plagman has talked about in this particular segment, you can do so at RPGs and baby makes three at gmail.com. Let's go ahead and move to our next segment. Let's, let's make a proficiency check. All right, folks, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Hey, 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 what's going on? We look at the person through the peephole. You talking to me crazy? Maybe if I get lucky, we get a little action adventure of our own going, you know what I mean? Proficiency check! All right, so proficiency check. Now, this is a fun one. We're going to be talking about theater of the mind versus battle maps or scenario maps. 
so right before we went on this recording, man, I thought it was really fascinating because you've used battle maps like all the time when I played in Pathfinder Society with you. You do a great job. I remember you did a boat one time that I played on. It was so well done. I love navigating through it. It was a really hard scenario too, if I remember correctly. It was a Pathfinder scenario. It was a higher level one. And you've used those maps, but right before we went on the air, you're like, I actually prefer Theater of the Mind, which I thought was so funny. Oh, yeah. But yours, the system you were using and the game style that you were playing kind of got you into using battle maps. So for those out there listening, why don't we describe these two things? Why don't you describe like what a battle map is, what a scenario map is? All right. Well, a battle map or a scenario map is a piece of paper or a whiteboard or a roll 20 screen, whatever, that has a usually gridded image of whatever piece of terrain. It could be forest or a dungeon or a abandoned mansion or whatever else. And usually it's divided into one inch grids or sometimes uh, hex grids. And you'll have minis to represent the characters and the monsters and you'll move tactically since each mini will have its allotted amount of movement per round. And that way you can know exactly where everything is on the battle map. They're usually very richly illustrated, often for their works of art. It amounts, it allows for tactics, much more so than theater of the mind does, that you can say, well, I'm flanking that bad guy, which gives me this bonus. But if I move over here, I'll draw an attack of opportunity. Whereas in theater of the mind, you don't necessarily have that granular gritty tactical element to dovetail off of what you just said i think it allows for many many more of these sort of optional rules yes you know i'm most familiar with ad and second edition although i've played all of the editions at this point and there are a lot of those really small rules like combat bonuses for being at a higher elevation for example mm-hmm. or you mentioned flanking or rear or shield side versus right. sword side of the combatant and things like that. None of which we play with in my ADD second edition game because we don't really need it. It just speeds up combat. But when you're doing a battle map, you're not really trying to speed up combat. It becomes its own event. And of course it is, there is a, a, a real basis. I mean, there's a foundational element to that. I mean, these games came literally from tabletop war games. Exactly. So, it's really these things came before theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's as D and D as theater of the mind is for sure. And of course, is there anything more? Well, okay. Here for a me nerd person, <laughs> when I go to a convention and somebody has a kick, butt for the, for the kids out there, a kick, butt total landscape mm-hmm. that they're going to run their game on. Or if I'm online and somebody has like, here's the final battle scene for X thing in, in some module. And it looks so, it is strikingly, it's amazing. And it These really is so cool. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've seen some, and I'm a big, you know, obviously a huge Dragonlance fan and I've mm-hmm. followed the Dragonlance groups and I've seen people create these battle maps for the iconic Dragonlance scenes from wow. the that's, original that's modules. That's commitment right there. Yes, final scenes that are like i mean it's like they created the details from the novels and the modules mm-hmm. down to the blade of grass 
Yeah. And uh, it's it's striking and stunning. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely nothing I'm interested in getting involved in. It's so much work. It is. It's so much work. But that's part of it too. Like there's this one Pathfinder Society scenario that the bulk of it involves this giant staircase that's built into the side of a cliff. That it's giant literally and that each stair is like 15 feet high. It's built for giants. Oh, good God. And somebody for a convention actually built that entire set piece. Oh my for God. their game. It was five feet tall. Oh. It took him weeks to build this thing. And the minis were actually appropriately scaled. And you actually played the entire game on this five foot tall set piece. <laughs> and it That's was amazing. amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. But part of it, too, I mean, yes, you can just buy the pre-made battle maps, and that's what most people do, and it's probably for the best, because drawing those things out takes forever. But the act of drawing them out, the act of making these bits of terrain, it's like painting minis, that it's its own separate but equally entertaining adjacent part of the hobby. For sure. I think Mm -hmm. that that's a really good way to, to describe it, because I think, like, for example... We have a good friend of ours who does not really play RPGs much at all. Um, mm-hmm. His name's Adam, and he's a very talented artist. You've probably met Adam before at one of our board game barbecues. Mm-hmm. Adam is a avid board gamer, mm-hmm. and he loves painting minis. Oh, my God. And he's so he, good at it, And too. he is phenomenal at it. He's the best miniature painter I've, I know personally. Uh, they look as good as any miniature I've ever seen, like in real life. They're just amazing. And for he's bought games like you know Mansions of Madness or or Blood Rage, Blood Rage, and painted all of the figures, and it's incredible. Labyrinth, I think he did Labyrinth as yeah. well. Yeah, and they look perfect. They're just they're they're staggeringly beautiful. And he doesn't really play RPGs, so he'll Painting's play. Fun. Yeah, and he loves to do the minis. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of just a secondary thing. Mm-hmm. Now, for those who don't know what Theater of the Mind is, that's probably what most people out there are playing for the most part. And Theater of the Mind is essentially you're using your imagination. You're imagining the scene in your head based on the descriptions of the game master and the players working together to describe what is happening. And out of a lack of the kind of funds which would be required of me to purchase something from like Dwarven Forge or whatever, where everything is already pre-created and beautifully done, and the lack of time because I have a child to actually be interested in creating these battle maps, and also just my love for use of imagination and the limitless possibilities that using theater of the mind versus a drawn battle map offers. I've always done theater of the mind. I've always enjoyed that. And the occasional times when I've tried to create a battle map, it's always felt a little bit lacking. Like I always sort of feel like it doesn't quite, it's not quite adequate adequate, and it's almost limiting. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like alterations to the terrain that happen during the gameplay where, cause you know, players, Oh, yeah. They do stuff. <laughs> they 
they do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and your All carefully laid battle stuff. map probably doesn't look like your carefully laid battle map after about three seconds of the players mm -hmm. doing anything whatsoever. <laughs> hey, but of course, hey, you can I'm fix feeling that. personally attacked here. That's one of the things I love about mm -hmm. gaming is when the players oh, okay, okay. just do totally unexpected yeah. things and go and, and manipulate the world in a way which I never expected. Of course, by the same token, when you're really committed to the Maps and Minis lifestyle, somebody creates a 30-foot-tall tree on their turn, which you certainly weren't expecting, you reach into your box and you pull out a tree mini and you put it on the map. <laughs> True. Now that is right. Um, and you mentioned here in the chat this sto uh, the storage issue. Which, I mean... The, the book storage is already an issue for me. The mm -hmm. gaming materials <laughs> is already a, an issue for me, let alone mm -hmm. adding miniatures. But, but you know what, though? The closet is devoted to maps and minis. Just what? nothing but maps and minis. I got to be honest with you, though. <laughs> I appreciate those people who sacrifice their money, time, and storage space to create those beautiful setups that I can just enjoy looking at and being afraid to kind of touch because they're so incredibly well done. Yeah, you know you want to touch them. I do. I would really love... I've never played in a game that had a really nice battle map landscape fully created kind of thing. And I wonder if I would have different feelings about it. But to be honest with you, I think at this point in my life, you know, with a kid and with all the storage issues and with the financial requirements, I don't think I would ever do something along those lines. I think my inclination would much more likely be to go towards a printed map, because now printers are better too, where they have the the images printed onto yeah. the map. So like, mm -hmm. let's say there's like overturned cart and like dead bodies around, it's literally printed onto the sheet that has a hex grid or a, a square grid printed on top of that. Exactly. And then I would use skinny minis. Yeah. Which, for those of you who don't know, they're basically just flat miniatures that stick in a stand that have cool pictures on them. Yep. Skinny minis. I like that. I like that. Yep. For that matter, there are also what amounts to adult color forms. If you remember those from the 80s when you were a kid. They can be anything from monsters to terrain pieces. So... If you have an overturned cart, I can pull out a vinyl cling film overturned cart and put it on the map. That's awesome. See, now that that to me is kind of a more viable and more suitable for my personal taste because it is it allows for a lot more easy to access customization in game. Because I need it to be like totally customizable and there's nothing more totally customizable than your imagination. Right. That's a fascinating topic. And I, I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to hear from some folks out there who really you know, get I actually this. want to chime in here because I'm coming in as just a player. And, you know, Amanda, you've used battle maps with the Ravenloft game. And Rob, you do Theater of the Mind with Dragonlance. And I really like the freedom of flexibility using my imagination. And I don't know. I, I think there is this... I think you're right. It can be very limiting. And I also kind of, I don't know when I'm, when I'm playing with a battle map, 
I see everything as those squares. And I think in some ways it does kind of halt the imagination process and being in the story itself. It's really interesting to, to really, you know, to sit down and think about how it affects your imagination and, and your flow as a, as a gamer. And, um, you know, Absolutely. I see them that they're necessary in, in several ways at times, but yeah, I think there is benefits and pluses and minuses to each. Yeah, there's the cliche that when the R-O-L-L play starts, that the R-O-L-E play stops, which it doesn't have to be the case, but it often ends up being so. Well, it's interesting because I actually think that both have a place. So, and it sort of depends on the game, but I will kind of share a little bit of an anecdote, which I think is fascinating, is that for years I played when I just played in person first. And then when I started playing online at all, I played via Skype. And so we had video and the method of, I want to speak was to raise a hand. And so like you'd raise your hand and then you, cause we had a lot of players and you could know you want to, do something you want to you want to chime in or interrupt the scene or whatever so that way the dm would know okay you can chime in so when we recently started playing a lot more on discord and there's no video and it's purely audio what i found was interesting is how much more vivid the games have become for me because i literally am not seeing i'm not seeing another human being on the screen and I'm playing with people who, I mean, like all three of us, we spend a lot of time when we're playing our games speaking in character. Mm -hmm. And so even if we're not using like a funny voice or whatever, like, for example, you don't speak in a really in a different voice when you're speaking as Melanora in my yeah. Dragonlance game. But I very clearly know when you're speaking as Melanora, you have a way of speaking that is Melanora's way of speaking. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I wasn't seeing your face and I'm just hearing this, it would be like all I would be doing is envisioning this sort of haughty, high elf, red robed wizardess, you know, wizardess. So what I've noticed is like cutting out all visual sensation has actually allowed me to get even more out of the imagination aspect of it. And I really have found something there's something valuable there there's something there counterpoint though when we're in the ravenloft game and we have one of our players who regularly doesn't turn on his camera and <laughs> perhaps, <so> awkward <laughs> well it can be somewhat awkward though i understand there are reasons for it and you know no no complaints no condemnation but it can be so much harder to know well is he enjoying the game is he distracted? Is he unhappy? Is he waiting for a chance to chime in, but we're not letting him speak because we can't see his face? You get the more vivid imagination, but you also lose some interpersonal connection, lacking video. Yeah, Fair. More immersion, but less playing a game with friends and having exactly. all of that other stuff. It's mm -hmm. a really good point. I think that's a really, really good point. Because yeah, it is sort of hard. Using brain meats. Using their brain meats. That is a really, that's a really fascinating point that I want to exp I want to think about more because I, there is something to that. And I think that you're looking at that game specifically and thinking about that person in the game. And as the game has gone on, the rest of us with our cameras on have formed sort of a bond. 
And even though we didn't, well, some of us knew each other, some of us didn't, it does feel like, oh, hey, how are you doing person who I see on the screen? And we have mm -hmm. like the pregame conversation stuff, right. or maybe we're taking a break and we talk mm -hmm. a little bit about it and we ask about each other's lives and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I and never it's felt not really- excluding, but no, kind of are. Yeah, I never felt inclined to, to make those mm -hmm. same inquiries with the person who wasn't putting the camera on. And there was no personal reason for that. No, I didn't have no, any- he's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, so that is a really fascinating and interesting sort of, sort of thing. Now I will say for the Discord group, what's interesting is that there's a secondary layer which comes into play. And that's that during the game, that's true, but that group is very interactive in between games. So there's a lot of conversation about other games and gaming philosophy and ideas and you so you start to get to know the people you're playing the games with outside of the game by having conversations about like what they like stylistically and what they're interested in and then you start to realize like and who they are as people even like you know and what they do in their lives so you it's not the same as in real life or with a video but you do have the opportunity to get to know these folks Whereas like the person who had their camera off in your game never interacted in the in-between game interactions where we would like literally just be BSing with each other sometimes <laughs> about random stupid stuff or like right. maybe somebody would share a recipe or like, oh, I made this food item or, <laughs> you know, whatever it might be. Like they never engaged in that way. So we didn't have any of that in-between stuff either. So mm -hmm. Well, it's a fascinating topic, and I, I would really love to hear from some of our listeners about the their experiences using theater of the mind versus battle maps. And now this new topic, this new topic of interest, like creating that interpersonal connection um, that we kind of discussed there by just going audio only, or even we could take it a step further, which is like text only games, which I think is could be really interesting yeah. um, because I'd love to discuss in greater depth the notion of immersion um, at some point future episodes so we should we should come back around to this topic and discuss that so anyway email us at rpgs and baby makes three if you've got some commentary on this we'd love to hear all about it let's move into our final segment of the episode let's move to moans and groans don't worry don't worry i'm not gonna do what everyone thinks i'm gonna do flip out Look, look, I've got a major problem, okay? Hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right! You have no power over me. Groans and moans. All right, so this might be controversial. So we put this in the moans and groans section, and that is subversive characters. Gretchen, you're going to lead us off with this one because you're going to talk about your subversive character, for the game Mothership that we recently played. We talked a little bit about this on a previous episode, but we use it as the basis for this conversation. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty exciting. It, I mean, it basically, you should think of Mothership as aliens. And I played an android. And as an aliens, the android is kind of uh, going to kill everybody. Sorry if that's a spoiler. For if you haven't seen Aliens at this point in your life and you're listening to this, I move along. Um, 
I think but, thirty years is the is is well long enough for people uh, to have seen the movie. I would hope so. I would hope so. Um, but we do have a new generation out there, you know. Oh, in um, case it needs mentioning, in Titanic, the ship sinks. <laughs> Spoilers. God, I've Dang never it, seen Amanda. it, Amanda. I've never seen Titanic. <laughs> and so you know. It, at a certain point in the game, I, I asked the game master, hey, can I betray everybody? And he was super excited about it. But at the end of the game, when the GM was asking for feedback, one of the players was like, you know, made the point, I, I wish I'd known that this could have happened. Like, this is an aspect of this game, you know, because I think they went into it trusting that we were all doing a cooperative thing, which I think in a lot of games, most games you are, you are cooperating. But I was just in, I think I had had a rough day at work and I was like, you know what? F it all, I'm gonna blow this up. And, and I did, and it was kind of, I don't know, I thought it was hilarious and exciting. And, but I don't think, I think, most people were okay with it, but I bet some someone wasn't. And I, you know, then it kind of becomes this question, you know, if you're playing a character who is intentionally subversive in a cooperative setting, or is your character being subversive because, you know, you're being a jerk? Like what what are the differences? How does this work in a gaming scenario? Do you feel okay about this? Do you think it should be stated ahead of time? Like, I think there's a lot of interesting questions that are brought up. And, um, you know, Amanda, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. Like, what's your take? Well, first of all, I would say that there's a huge difference between being subversive in a one shot versus being subversive in a campaign. Absolutely. Well mm -hmm. stated. I, I think that's really important. The other thing, it's probably not reasonable to go into it too deeply on this episode since it probably deserves its own entire segment but there's something called a group template or a session zero that most games would benefit from having though not all actually end up having where you discuss things like that you discuss inter-party conflict and you discuss subversion and that sort of thing that's also where your lines and veils can be brought into play and there are certainly people that are very much team-oriented, cooperation-oriented, that will be extremely disturbed by unexpected subversion like that. Like uh, our friend and y'all's guest, Bianca, she is so team-oriented. It's all yeah, about... Yeah, she show up with pom-poms, really. Yeah. Yes, she is the most so supportive... Team. Team, yes. And... I can pretty much guarantee that she would have been profoundly unhappy. Especially if she didn't know it was coming. I, on the other hand, would have probably found it hilarious and only been annoyed that I didn't get to it first. The game master was Aaron Sturgill, who is the head guy behind Trail of Dice Games. So he is an RPG designer, minimalist RPG game designer. So he is, he's a great game master. He knows his stuff. And so he navigated it really well too. And that's another component there that I think really needs to be taken into account. 
who is the person running the game and can they in the moment make the decision that is well informed by their own experience as a game master and mm -hmm. by the game that you're currently playing and by who the players are. I would never allow something like that, for example, to happen in a game that I knew that Bianca was playing. Right. But I would absolutely allow that to happen in the game where it was the two of you. <laughs> and because I know you would probably think it was fun. And I know the two of you trust me as a game master. So right. it would be like something that I could kind of get away with. And I will tell you that this was part of a series of games called March into Horror. So we all knew we were screwed. There yeah. was a chance we could, of course, come out victorious and mm -hmm. and succeed in survival or whatever uh, mm -hmm. was the goal of that particular game. But I don't think anybody was going to be upset going into it if everybody died in a nuclear explosion right. like we did. Thank you, nice. Gretchen. You're welcome. <laughs> I think the other thing, too, it somewhat depends on whether or not this version is in character with the personality that's been established for that character. Mm. Like, I'll give you an example. The vampire LARP that I used to play in, there was one guy who had a character that had been established as being very gentle and humane. And he's a vampire, so of course he's a monster. But he was probably the best human that a vampire could possibly be. And when he then turned around and pulled a subversion move, if anybody else in that game had done it, it would have been expected. It would have been expected. It would have been rolled with. It would have been moved on. But when he did it, it actually caused problems. Wow. Really? Because, yeah, it did. Because the way that he went about it, it actually ended up damaging the long-term story of the game. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Because what we had... Happened? Well, basically, there had been long-standing drama between the players in the Savannah game versus the players in a neighboring game to the point that we had all just sort of politely agreed to stay in our own backyards and not interact with each other. And if that character had sold out the Savannah game to any other nearby game, it would have been fine. But he sold us out to the problem game. Oh. Basically, he invited people from the problem game to come in and completely seize power and take over our game. Oh. And on the one hand, it made perfectly good sense in character. His character got something out of it that he wanted. It worked. But it did some severe damage to our game. And a lot of folks actually ended up not really looking at the player the same way after that which maybe that's going too far maybe that's allowing bleed to come in but you know when somebody pulls something that problematic you can't necessarily go back but by the same token that was a years-long campaign which is a totally different thing than a one-shot yeah, that would be really frustrating to mm -hmm. go in on a huge campaign like that and right. then it pretty much implode. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to lose four hours or so of gameplay. It's another thing to lose four years. <laughs> wow. And I was saying I would argue, too, that what Gretchen did in her subversive move 
actually enhance the game. It sounds and like I, it. Yeah, and I think that that might be the trick. Mm -hmm. Is what he did did not. Yeah, and ultimately, it is a game. Yes, and the purpose is to have fun mm -hmm. and or fulfillment out of it. Exactly, and that is not just our own personal fun and or fulfillment, but the overall vast majority group fun slash fulfillment. Yes. And I think that any decision that we make, which severely and long-term impacts that core component of playing games, to me, is something that you should really consider very, very, very carefully before yeah. you do it. You might end up doing it anyway, but you need to be real sure. Yeah. Well, we are going to definitely sure. talk about a couple of, you brought up a couple of really amazing topics, the session zero and group templates. We're going to, we're going to definitely have you come back on for that. I want to talk about that notion of feeling real feelings from a game or being, you know, impacted in real life by in-game stuff. Cause I think we should have a discussion about that. I don't think that that's out of the ordinary. I think nope. we get emotionally invested in these characters. We're telling deep and meaningful stories these games are are to me at least they're powerful they have yes. uh, their powerful storytelling mm -hmm. mechanisms and can profoundly impact us personally so there's nothing weird about feeling feelings by exactly. something that happens in the game right i mean i've never made a character that was not on some level some reflection of some part of me it's impossible, literally, it's impossible not mm -hmm. to, because you don't know how to reference something that is not at least right. somewhere in you. And sometimes we want to explore a darker side or maybe even a lighter side of who right. we are or a more carefree side or a more serious side or whatever it might be. But it's it that's so fascinating. It's such an interesting story. And I would be, I'm really curious to hear what our listeners have to say about their subversive characters because I really do not have it in me to play a subversive character. I feel too bad. I, I, hey, I, like I, I didn't think I had it in me either, but you know what? I did. I, I blew that up. I could totally do it for a one shot, but yeah. for a campaign, no. Honestly, I'm afraid that if I did it, it would be almost a revenge instrument and that's just petty i you know it's interesting i was listening to i'm very interested in this game called the d sanction which i know you are as well amanda gretchen you're going to be interested in it because we're going to force you to play <laughs> the d sanction is a supernatural rpg based on the writings and sort of history of john d and the in Queen Elizabeth and sort of all the Elizabethan era stuff. And there is a mechanic in it where a character can become shaken by something that happens in the world and take on a negative personality trait that is essentially subversive. So I was listening to an actual play podcast of a game of desanction where one of the characters became, because of seeing a supernatural event happen, became arrogant, loud, and argumentative. 
Nice. And the player then, whose character before had been working with the rest of them, sort of to be like belligerent, pushy, annoying, generally unpleasant to play with. And that was a mechanic built into the game. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that was an interesting because it was like the mechanic was you become subversive mm-hmm. and an impediment because of what's happened, because you've been shaken by what you've right. seen. So, and I'm sure this isn't the first time a game has used such a thing. I mean, I'm not... Exalted does something similar. Yeah, so I mean, I think that there's a place... That's another interesting sort of angle on mm-hmm. subversion. Like, if you're playing in a game where there... Maybe that is it. And to me, that excited me. And you could even hear, like, the other players navigating around it. You could hear in the actual play podcast that because they were prepared and, and knew, right. they enjoyed the fact that this guy was being a hard to play with right but it was like also the game so they mm-hmm. were like engaging with it yeah by the same token it. though that might also be an excellent instance where safety mechanics are still viable in the yes that's part of the game and everybody knows it's part of the game but it's still not a bad idea to pause every now and again check in you know are we okay mm-hmm. Cool. That's a good on. point. Really, exactly. really good point. Yeah, because, you know, it's interesting, too, is like I've had to, I've played characters that, you know, could be offensive. Mm-hmm. And in those very rare cases, I kind of do make sure, mm-hmm. is this, so? are you guys cool with this? And also, just to make it clear, the, I am not this character. Exactly. You know? Um, it was interesting because I we played in a game of Cthulhu, and there was a guy who was we were playing with people from all over the world, and there was a, somebody who was I believe playing from El Salvador, and I was I was given a pregen, and my pregenerated character was of Latin descent, and I wanted to use a fake Spanish accent, mm-hmm. but I asked the player first if he would be okay with me because I didn't want to be like insulting awesome. his heritage. Excellent and he call. was fine with it, and he actually thought it was great. Yeah, and I was terrible at it, and he loved no, it. That I was a really good job. Okay. I mean, I come on, a... we lived in LA for almost eight years. I mean, you know, this. But this to wasn't... him, who's a native speaker, I'm sure True. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. But he, but yeah, again, it was like checking in and making sure, and that was like outside of the bo- the bounds of like the normal safety tools we think of. But that's just sort of keeping that in mind. Mm-hmm. The one other thing I wanted to say about subversive characters. Unless you're with a group that you already know well, like presumably the one that y'all were playing with Mothership, that you had already interacted with them significantly through the other games and the other discords and all. The first time you interact with a new person, the first time you play with them, is usually not the time to be subversive. (laughs) First impressions last! Well, then my first impression for at least one of those people is not good. Oh, Gretchen has an enemy. Do you remember who it was? And we could ask him, would you ever trust me as a player? (laughs) That wouldn't be awkward at all. No. I can't imagine that it would have been more fun had Gretchen not done that. I think that Gretchen doing that made the game more fun, like in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Even if we would have succeeded or not, because Mm -hmm. what it was all working out to was a pretty straightforward sci-fi adventure game and what it ended up being was an amazing twist 
at the end, which threw us all for a loop and was, which you could not have done without Gretchen mm -hmm. doing that. Like none of us would have fallen for the twist right? otherwise. Yeah. So I'm not typically a person who can play a character that does that, but I don't know. It's just combination of a really long, hard day. Uh, just, I don't know. It just worked for me. So it was kind of fun being able to explore that. And that's what I like about one shots is you can kind of explore parts of maybe your personality, but just, um, you know, things that you wouldn't normally do or who you are. Like when I play video games, I could never take the bad guy path. And the one or two times where I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. You know, like with Fallout, especially because mm. you can get pretty twisted with Fallout. I felt so guilty. I just, I quit early on. I just couldn't do it. I'm, like, I'm not oh, this person. That's so sweet. Oh, is it? You're so innocent. Except when you're not. I'm not innocent. Ever. It's interesting. I can't be evil in video games either. It's like it makes me feel bad, even though I know I'm just playing some sort of like robot mm -hmm. little bit piece thing, whatever. Yeah, so if you're interested in sharing your stories of subversion, send us an email at RPGs and Baby Makes 3. We would absolutely love to hear all about what you've got going on with those stories because I think that this topic has a lot of facets that are really interesting and I would love to hear your stories about them. We're going to leave you here, Amanda. Thank you again for coming on the show this week. And we're going to absolutely, we got to have you back on now to talk about these other topics that got brought up. So uh, we will yeah. talk to you very Thanks soon. Yes. Thanks thank you so much. Ah, uh, so yeah. ends another episode of RPGs and Baby Makes 3. Yeah. Sure was exciting. great. It was a good one. I love having Amanda Plagman on whenever we can. She's awesome. She's just got so much good stuff to say. So. She's got good brain meats. I love it that she uses the term brain meats. <laughs> it's so funny. I love that so much. She's so cool. And uh, she's got obviously a wealth of gaming experience. So it was awesome to talk with her again this week. If you are interested in talking and sending us emails about any of the topics that we discussed this week with Amanda or just anything that you've got related to RPGs, babies, or if you just need help, email us at rpgsandbabymakes3 at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, of course. And you can, of course, find us also on YouTube, Patreon, all these places that you can find us. And we would love to hear from you. Oh, and you should leave reviews, positive five-star reviews on iTunes and stuff. Only positive five-star reviews. Yeah, and like and subscribe to the podcast mm. on YouTube because apparently that means something. Does it? Well, you know, like, we don't care about that kind of stuff, but you know what? I guess it does because then more people hear it. So that's good. Yeah. I guess more people hearing I mean, we are kind of a big deal. Should we bribe people? Maybe not yet. You know what? There might be stickers in the future mm -hmm. that we might bribe people with. Pins. Pins are awesome, actually. Enamel pins. Enamel They're pins. They're so hot right now. Enamel. Well, they were so hot like two years ago, dude. I, well, we don't know that. We've been stuck inside for over a year. True enough. Maybe they're hot again. Yeah, it could be super hot. <laughs> danger. Hot. Danger. Hot. Danger. Danger. Hot. Hot. That's, that's what we say to our kid between three and 5,000 times per day. Yeah, he doesn't listen to us. No, of course he doesn't. Yeah. 
Well, that's about yeah, it that's for it. this week's episode, and we will talk to you again, hopefully, in a couple of weeks. We've, we're working on a couple of really amazing things. We've still got our Edition Wars episode coming up soon, and that's all in the works, actually. We're not far and from I'm that. And I'm researching one that I'm really sad excited about, uh, and that is, uh, it's it mostly pertains to women, but I'd like to hear stories from men, too, about... Uh, uncomfortable situations they've been placed in in their gaming groups and how to make a gaming group more inclusive and um, protective of its members so yeah I'm out there looking for stories and I would love to hear some if you are listening and have a good one please email us we'd love to talk to you Um, and good one I also understand could be very sad and tragic um, because those stories are out there and also But if you could also send ways that you've come up with solutions to the problem. Because I think that that's also good. We want to share some solutions. We don't want to just tell the horror stories, which unfortunately are far too many. And Gretchen has shared some with me already. And it's just... When we will share a few horror stories, of course. We want to hear stories of strength and hope as well. Yes, exactly. Because there there are some. And I know for a fact that mixed and diverse gaming groups are not only possible, but they are thriving in at many, many, many tables. Um, ours, ours is, is included. Yeah, good. ours is yeah. good. The Discord groups that we're playing in as well, also very, very diverse respectful. and yeah. respectful. So it can happen. And, um, and so we're going to be talking about that pretty soon. And um, we're also trying to line up some special guests. So we'll see how that works out. But we appreciate you tuning in again rpgs and babymakes3 at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out and we will talk to you next week with another big hunk of beef two weeks yeah we get to adjacent we get to dry age i'm gonna dry age our beef yeah it's more deliciouser (sighs) i miss meat sometimes Mm. no that sounds dirty that's mm. let's get out of here (laughs) we'll talk to you soon (laughs) RPGs and Baby Makes 3 is a production of Gretchen and Rob sitting on their couch. Email the show at rpgsandbabymakes3 at gmail.com. You can find more episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes, as well as on our free Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash rpgsandbabymakes3. Thank you.